You're listening to Coding Blocks, episode 139. Subscribe to us, leave us a review on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, I don't know, wherever you like to find your podcast. You can probably find us there, and if you can't, let us know. Uh, probably ping Jay-Z on Slack be my best advice to you. All right, awesome. If you've never been to the website, uh, it's super good. Looks really nice. Uh, it's got a lot of social links there at the top and uh, lots of show notes. So you can send questions, feedbacks, and rants to an email address that you could probably find on there somewhere. So Although we just you, ad-libbing this whole thing today. You forgot huh? to mention <laughs> what the website is, though. <laughs> you sure did. Yeah, you, oh. you, you talked about it, but you never said like the HTTP colon – oh, wait, HTTPS colon right. forward slash forward slash – www.codingblocks.net. Yeah. Net. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Very good. Well, we're off to a good start. So <laughs> you could also follow us on Twitter at CodingBlocks or head to www.codingblocks.net and find all our social links there at the top of the page. With that, I am Alan Underwood. I am Joe Zach. And I'm Michael Outlaw. This episode is sponsored by Datadog, the cloud-scale monitoring and analytics platform for end-to-end visibility into modern applications. And Secure Code Warrior, build your security posture and defend your organization from cybersecurity threats by empowering your developers with the skills and expertise they need to write secure code from the start. All right, so we're back talking about the DevOps handbook and... uh I got to tell you, so I finished the uh, unicorn project, guys. Like we need to we need to talk about that too at some point. Spoiler test. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, wait, you wanted to talk about that now? Because we're still talking about. Guess what part we're talking about? <laughs> we're still talking about the second way. In the so I think we should do a spoiler cast where we do an episode where. Uh, and first of all, Alan's got to read it. Where we just talk about the books full of spoilers, and then we either put it up on YouTube or do some sort of big disclaimer. We just go ham on talking about it so that people hate us basically no no no. so the people who have read it can enjoy it okay that's fair okay. yeah and the people who haven't can stay away yeah they they would like be it. warning you know warned that hey there's spoilers in here yep cool yeah i, I will read it at some point i will audiobook. actually get the audiobook just like outlaw did because that's yep. that's the way i roll it's really good it's really good which one did you like better Ooh, good question. Which one of, of the three of the trilogy, the DevOps handbook, the Phoenix project and the unicorn project, or just sure. Phoenix versus unicorn? Is the answer different? Well, probably not. Um, <laughs> so let's go with either. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't know that until you asked. Don't, right, right. don't be a jerk about it. Uh, yeah. So. <laughs> Tough crowd. Um, which one did I like the best? I, I well, okay. Of the three of them, the DevOps handbook is great, but I definitely really did like the storytelling aspect of the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project. So <laughs> I like them a lot. Like, and I and I'd said this before that maybe having already gone through the DevOps handbook. And then doing the Phoenix Project and the Unicorn Project, it was kind of like you kind of like, as you're listening or reading the story, you're like, oh, I know what you should be doing. I know what part's coming next, right? Um, so that that definitely might have influenced my decision a lot. But I really did enjoy the Phoenix Project yeah, right. a lot. Yeah, really so good. that that needs to be my first listen then is what we're saying here. Yeah. 
All right. Uh, definitely between the, the Unicorn Project and the Phoenix Project, because the two stories happen concurrently in timeline-wise, but uh, I think it's I think there's references to the Phoenix Project in the Unicorn Project that have the assumption that you've already read the Phoenix Project. Okay, that, that works for me. That's what that's would be my uh, my next listening then. Yeah, it's good. I think it's like it's it's uh, and comparing Dev, uh, DevOps handbook is kind of not fair because like one's yeah. like a textbook and one's like one of those like really good after school specials. Yeah, that like you, you turn on for like two minutes and like somehow watch the the whole episode. I'm yeah. all of a sudden not excited about this because it, I was there any such thing as a really good after school special? Oh like, man, really? come on! It, it's, it's basically like good. watching an old episode of GI Joe and Roadblock comes on at the end and you know tells you like now you know and knowing half yeah. the battle. <laughs> And you're like, yeah, right? I I do kind of know now, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's really good though. I, but you're right the the DevOps it is unfair because the DevOps handbook is more uh, textbook. But but that said though, I do I have I I have really enjoyed like the case studies that I know you hate Joe, but mm-hmm. uh, that is like one of my favorite parts of the DevOps handbook. And even in the Unicorn Project and uh, the Phoenix project, they do make references to some of those case studies, but they don't go into the same level of detail. So the, the, the level of detail of those case studies in the DevOps handbook are awesome. Cause then I guess what I like about all of it is that like seeing how some of these things are put into practice, you know, and like being able to have a story about that, it, it, it helps to, uh, to solidify your understanding of it and and whatnot. So that, that's part of what I've enjoyed about it. For sure. Excellent. Oh, hey, real quick on that too. I so you remember I mentioned scaffold is my tip of the week a couple of episodes back or whatever, and Andre actually said that he was getting ready to start using it. He sent us a tweet on it. I'm really curious, man. Let us know how that's going for you because it's uh, it can be super powerful in trying to get your entire environment working locally as well as pushing on forward to other environments, which is kind of in the whole vein of what we're talking about here anyway. So. Well, in fairness, how do you know which scaffold he's he was talking about using? Because you mentioned like three scaffolding tips true. of three different tools that were all called scaffold in the same episode. Oh, yeah, well, you know. <laughs> well, it's spelled different. Oh, they, yeah. They were spelled a little bit different. That's right. In fairness, I think it was only two, but yeah, still fun. Yeah. 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 I do think um, Scaffold is, uh, it sits in the middle of so many things. It like runs a bunch of, you know, Kubernetes uh, pods and services and puts it all together. So when any of those services go wrong, it always feels like Scaffold. Right. So I feel like Scaffold, it's so easy to blame for so many things. And when you check on it, it is always your fault. Yeah. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Well, I don't totally forget Helm agree. in there too. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Helm is also it's the same thing. It's like sits in the middle. It's so easy to blame, and it's never the. It's problem. never your local Docker desktop that's the problem. Of oh course, it's scaffold. <laughs> Man, I, yeah. I actually need to do a little video on on some of that just to show some of the problems that you run into there, so that you don't waste hours of your life trying to figure out why your stuff isn't working. But yeah, you know, you'll waste hours. All right, so let's jump into the news. Who's got iTunes here? Looks like Jay Z. Me. Hey, so big thank you to uh, Abi Zambra and Tracer. I uh, really appreciate those excellent reviews. Thank you very much. Huh? I thought that would have just been Tracer. Yeah, probably. Maybe yeah. that's just because I've played too much Overwatch. So uh, from Stitcher, I'm going to go with uh, the a Toy Story reference here, and Andy is taken. So thank you, Andy is taken. That's excellent. Yes, thank you for those. And then I had one that I wanted to bring up because Snorri wrote me on LinkedIn and 
we get this question periodically over the years, right? Like we've been doing this now for close to seven years, guys. That's crazy. But we get this Wait, question. Wait, we've been writing code for seven years? Uh, not quite that long, but we have been doing this <laughs> podcast for that long. So <laughs> it was just the way it was the way you like said that though. It's like we've been developers for seven years. Man, it really, it's been me. a bit minute. It's been a long minute more than that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, slightly. But we get this question quite a bit from people all over the place: emails, Slack, uh, you know, LinkedIn, whatever. And it's usually from people that are new to the development field and, and they'll come up with a question and be like, Hey, I'm trying to land a job. My first job is a developer. What do I need to do? Right. Like, and, and some of the things that he threw my way were like, Hey, should I start a pet project, you know, so that I can show that I can code this? Should I do this? Should I do this? And, and my suggestion back to him was, and the reason I bring this up is because maybe it'd be nice to get you guys' point of views for them as well. And anybody else out there, you know, in the same situation is don't start a pet project. This is my opinion. Unless you just have something you are super passionate about, don't start your own project because you're going to learn more by pulling somebody else's project, a project that already exists on GitHub that maybe is something that maybe you're more interested that you might be interested in, but you'll get to see the patterns and how people are coding things and, and how they're doing their unit tests and how they're doing these other things, right? Like I feel like just getting your hands on something that's already established and working, installing it, learning how Git works, learning how all these other pieces work and interact together, give you a much broader overall picture of the entire thing than you just sitting down and writing your own to-do list. Right? So that was one. And then my other thing was too, I think a lot of people, and this isn't just new people getting into development, trying to go land a job. A lot of people don't treat the interview like they should. Like to me, if you're going to interview at a place, you should look at whatever the job description is, right? What are they coding in? What frameworks are they using? All that kind of stuff, right? Then you need to treat it like a test like you did when you were in school, right? Go Google um, interview questions for C-sharp, right? If that's what you're doing, interview questions for Web API, interview questions for this. And then if you want to take it a step further, we've talked about this book, cr- Cracking the Code Interview. Like that's not light weight work, right? Like if you really want to get serious about it, go through that thing, do the challenges. And then, and then something that Jay-Z does a lot is like these, these code challenges, the code katas or the leak code challenges or whatever. You'll learn a lot because you will struggle through getting to a solution. And then after you do that solution, you'll get to see other people's solutions. And then you'll get to see, oh, well, they did that there. Huh, I didn't think about that. Right. So those were my things that I gave back to them. So I'm curious, what what would you guys, and, and keep in mind, this is during a pandemic period. So it's, you know, it's a little bit tougher to give advice. Like if you're not landing a job, it might not be that you're bad. At it. it might be that we're just in a really tough market right now, economy, because, you know, there's a lot of companies suffering out there and a lot of people suffering from this. So, um, yeah, I guess with that, you, Jay-Z or you, Mike. I got, I guess I'll go first. So, um, one thing I'm a big advocate of is, you know, of of course, everything you just said, but also having a list of companies that you want to work for. You, I I feel like everyone should have a list of three companies right now that if you got, you know, laid off or that, you know, you're looking for a job, like these are the three places you would most want to work. 
And then from there, you can take a look at the kinds of problems they're using, the technologies they're using, <laughs> the kinds of problems that they have, uh, the, the types of uh, stuff that they have available on the internet, and be make yourself familiar with that stuff. Go do projects in the area. If they have open source projects, go look at them. Try to get involved. Try to do that sort of thing. If they have people in the area doing meetups or um, – you know, that's all kind of off the table now, but if they're, um, doing any sort of virtual meetups or if they have an API or something, uh, they have a Slack group for it, go join it right now. And I really think, um, having at least three, whether it's in your area or remote or whatever, like knowing who your first picks are, cause it's a, it's really about finding a place that you want to work at, not just any developer job. So, I mean, if you're looking for just any job, cause you just need to get that first year of, uh, you know, experience and that's kind of, you know, you're kind of in a slightly different um, position, but I still recommend knowing where you want to work. And if you don't know where you want to work, get on Google, type in, you know, your city, Orlando, Florida, tech companies. Sit there, go through, look at the top five, six, seven, eight, and see if there's any of that interests you. And if not, keep looking, for, you know, search some other way. Uh, but uh, I think it's really good just to know, like, where you would go if you could just pick. All right. I really like that. Wow, that's going to be hard to t- to follow up. Uh, okay. So my answer is going to be, well, are you still in school and looking for a job or not? Because if you are still in school, then I, my first advice to you would be to, uh, try intern getting an internship or a co-op job because, um, a, those jobs might be easier because of lower expectations to get. So it might be easier to get your foot in the door and gain, gain some experience and, uh, Alan's favorite part of it, the networking, right? So, uh, you know, if that's still an option, if you're not in school, then, uh, I still, I liked the ideas that you guys were throwing out there, but I would add to it that, um, we've talked about this before when, you know, as Alan was talking about, like trying to get up to speed with, uh, you know, like you mentioned, cr- the cracking the uh, code interview, or or I forget who wrote that, Gail something, I don't remember, but um, uh, cracking the coding interview, I think is the name of it or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've talked about Educative.io, and they have several courses that are all like uh, grokking the object oriented design interview, or grokking the system design interview, or you know, whatever, like they they have a whole series of those kind of things. So like, there's a bunch of resources out there that are like that. I think, um, Jay-Z, didn't you previously mention one that was more like a, uh, interview dot something? Oh yeah. Um, so it was interviewing dot IO. They don't do free interviews anymore though. Oh really? Okay. So well, yeah, they're, they're quite pricey too, which, uh, I mean, it was really valuable. I think it's like a hundred dollars or $200 now per interview, but uh, I, I did like five or six of them uh, for free. That's pretty awesome. So those, those are our thoughts on it. You know, hopefully out of that, you know, something will at least come into you and, and resonate with you and, well, the, and anybody else that's looking, right? The one, the one thing that I, the last thing I was going to add to that though is I was really surprised that you said to not focus on like any side projects because like, you know, if you, I think that there would be value in you having a portfolio that you could be able to share like, Hey, here's, here's some examples, you know, projects that I'm working on. Now, do you need to like, you know, make it the only thing you work on day in, day, day out, you know, for the next, you know, six months? No, I mean, I don't, I don't know. Unless it's like, unless it's something like you're super passionate about, then sure, go for it. But 
you know, I do think that there's value. There's value in what Alan was describing in like trying to figure out somebody else's code. And then there's also value in you being able to put up your own thing to solve those same kind of problems. Cause you're going to have to solve those same kind of You're going to end up solving those same kind of problems. Right. So I think there's value in both. Yeah. I, I definitely don't disagree there. I think my biggest, my biggest thing for people that are new to coding, like if you just got out of school, right? Like you learn the concepts of object oriented a lot of times, and you might've even done a school project where you, where you hack something together. The only thing is, is we all did it, right? Like when you first start coding, you code a lot of things wrong, right? Because you're just trying to get them to work. And it still happens even as a professional, as somebody that's been doing it for a long time. And I guess my whole point of grabbing something else down is you get to look and see how how groups of people are coding something. And so you could see those patterns and then you can start emulating those patterns, right? As opposed to, hey, let me just go make a connection to a database and every single one of my files and put queries in them all because that's what everybody did when they first started, right? And so you kind of got, you, you get to see how people start separating these things and abstracting these things. And, and so now you find out why they did it because, oh, I see why they did this. They didn't have to go change 50 files over here when they just needed to change one connection string, right? So, so, Totally agree. That doesn't mean don't do a side project, but there is a lot of value in seeing how how people that have coded together in a Git project where there's multiple contributors and seeing how that flow works and what their thought process is. So yeah, hopefully that helps multiple people out. Like I said, we get those questions, you know, frequently and and we don't answer them all the time because I don't think we want every single show being like, hey, let me tell you how to go do this. So, you know, hopefully that helps somebody out, especially right now in, in the world economy that's sort of crazy. So, you know, best of luck. And oh, also, by the way, that that was a message that came to me on LinkedIn. We've mentioned it before. Definitely hit us up on LinkedIn, right? Like if 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 you want to friend somebody, go go find us, right? You can go to codingblocks.net slash about. And I believe all three of us have our LinkedIn links there. So if you want to find us without having to try and search through 5 million people on LinkedIn, you can go directly to it and, and friend us and, and more than likely we'll accept. I Just still think it's weird. So don't be offended if I don't. <laughs> yeah. Mike will eventually. He will cave. It's so totally a Ponzi scheme. So it just <laughs> it's in your benefit to just friend everybody. Yeah, that's right. It's that's, just, that's, it just feels so weird to me. Like, yeah, it's like, it know. is weird. It is weird. Totally. So come be weird with us on LinkedIn. All right. So (laughs) I think with that, then uh, let's go ahead and jump back into where we left off. In the second way. In the second second way. Uh, Uh, So part uh, this part, we're talking about uh, finding and filling any gaps. In so telemetry from, specifically, right? In, so we were talking about telemetry in the past episode and we're picking back up in the middle of that. I totally remember that. Yes, for <laughs> sure. So and finding and filling gaps in telemetry. So, um, you know, we've talked before, um, even though we're talking about DevOps, it's really about the whole organization. It's kind of like a holistic approach. It's about culture. So um, specifically here, there's a couple different levels that we can kind of look at when we're talking about filling gaps. And the first is a business level. So these are metrics on business lines, things like sales transactions, um, how many new registrations, uh, how many people downloaded the trial, stuff like that. Uh, those are all really important. And they, um, you know, obviously if those numbers change dramatically and there's something going on, 
Uh, and then, of course, there's uh, application levels, which is the th- things I normally think of, like um, how long things take to complete or uh, number of errors, um, things like that. Uh, infrastructure. So um, our pals over at Datadog, uh, I I frequently kind of associate with them this, this sort of thing, like keeping track of um, the number of databases you've got, the operating systems, the versions that you're running, um, how well your storage, CPU, your networking is doing, uh, things like that. I feel like I'm talking a lot. Someone okay. else want to say the next one? All right. So client software, right? Any errors, crashings, timings, or anything that happens on the client. And then your deployment pipeline. We talked about this in the last episode. You know, your test suite status, deployment lead times, frequencies, and all of that. Like, this is all super important things to to be monitoring, getting telemetry on. By the way, so... We've mentioned Merle many times on the podcast since we started talking about the Google pull request and all that. He mentioned something that, man, it's so good. He's like, one thing I hate seeing when people are logging, specifically logging, is if there's a failure and it keeps going into a failure loop, is logging that same thing every time. So over a 12-hour period, you got a million log entries that are all the same failure. He's like, there needs to be something. Like when you're doing logging, don't do it brainlessly, right? Look at it and maybe have some sort of counter. Like if you're in some sort of crash-fail loop, uh, if this happened more than three times, then let's stop, right? Let's not log that thing anymore. Just say, hey, we we see that this is continually happening. And maybe after it gets out of it, say, hey, it stopped doing it, right? Like, so you keep track of this somehow. Rate That's a really important uh, thing. You're logging. Yeah. Yeah. So just another little tidbit that's just amazing because we talked about in the last episode too, where most people, or not most people, a lot of developers will log with the wrong level, right? Info versus warm versus error versus whatever. So, So that's another one to keep in mind. Outlaw, you want to take the next one? Well, I I would, except except I'm having like all kinds of networking issues. So like, I don't know where you guys left off. (laughs) That's why you haven't heard from me for a minute here. As I was like, uh, yeah, it's the best one for you. So, so yeah. So, uh, yeah, I'll start us off. You're listening to, oh, (laughs) I honestly, I don't know where we are. Uh, Line 48. Line 48. Oh, okay. Hey, now they know there's lines. All right, so we'll talk about uh, application and business metrics as it relates to uh, telemetry. So you want to gather telemetry not all, not just for the technical bits, but for the organizational bits. So this this or for organizational goals. So this is like a really great um, you know callback to what we talked about in the last episode as it relates to core metrics, right? Because in a you know like a tool such as core metrics, you're able to like attribute uh, clicks and you know, things like the actions that the user is doing. And then you're able to like associate that to an actual like cost. Like what, how much money did you earn based on like, uh, you know, sales conversions and things like that. Right. And so this is an example of like gathering that telemetry for that, for those organizational goals. Yeah. And some of those types of goals, right? Like there's, there's an, there's something happened, but that, that doesn't necessarily equate to a goal. Right. So you might have, we want new users as a goal, right? Like maybe you launch some sort of ad campaign and you're trying to create new users in your application. Login events, the length of the session, right? Like a lot of times in e-commerce, this is a very important metric. Like how much time did they spend shopping on the site? 
uh, active users, abandoned carts, all these kind of things, right? Like these are business goals that you want to track and the telemetry will help you get there. And then the next thing that they say is you need to have these, these metrics, not just be things that you read, but they need to be actionable, which is really important, right? Like if you see that abandoned carts are, are happening, like for, for whatever reason, the last deployment that went out on Wednesday, the abandoned cart rate went up 10%. Something happened. You should be able to action that. You should be able to look at what changed and then figure out what you need to do to try and fix it. If they're not actionable, I love this one. If they're not actionable, they're vanity metrics. They mean nothing. Yeah. See, this is, this one's tough for me, man, because like I, I, it's tough only because like I haven't been in an environment where I've seen it done, you know, or that I've been in an environment where I've, I've done it, where I've implemented it. I've been in environments where we had telemetry, but we never had those things like tied to a specific commit so that you could go back. I mean, I could tell you, like, if you were like, hey, at what point did you add that thing? I go, oh, well, let me go look through the Git log. I'll tell you exactly where I added it. But in the telemetry itself, you know, you didn't know that. You know, like right. it wasn't, it, it would take a developer to, to, to go and backlog, which I don't think is what they're describing there. I don't think, I think what they're basically saying is if you have business goals that you're measuring, like, like abandoned carts, right? Then if you see that go up or down, then you need to be able to action it somehow. So I don't think that they're trying to say tie it to a commit, but more than likely, if you see that there was a significant jump or dip in, in some particular metric, then you should be able to look at the point in time and say, hey, what changed then, right? Which is exactly what you just said, right? Like now I'm going to go back through and see, hey, what what changes happened in this particular change log, right? You know, uh, Airbrake used to do that. Um, they used to sponsor the show, and uh, we had an account there for. Uh, well, we still have an account there. That's awesome. And um, they they had an API, so whenever you did a release, you could mark a you could uh, mark a a deployment basically, and you could actually uh, add notes there too. So, like, if you knew there was an AWS outage or something, you can go and mark it there, and then all your graphs would always show like your little note that you kind of put in there. It was just super cool. That's excellent. Well, Jira has a similar capability too, if I recall, where you could like version. You could create a version in Jira that would like group up like, hey, here's all the tickets that you did, right? But that's not then tying it back to the telemetry piece. Right. Right. So that's where that's where like I haven't seen anything that makes that connection. Like I as a person I can make that connection, but I don't right. I I I guess I kind of took it to mean that like they wanted something, you know, automated. They would be like this 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 version is tied to this set of things, you know. Sounds like changes. a product that needs to be created or a service that needs to hook up those things, right? Well, I mean, it, honestly, it reminds me of like change logs, for example, you know, where you and, and, you know, you might have like some automated tool that creates your change log and then that change log might reference tickets. But again, that's still not the telemetry part of it though. So right. I don't know. You still got to hook it on to the graph basically. It's hard. I give up. Down. We're done. <laughs> uh, all right. So the next thing that they said is, by radiating these metrics, and if you remember right from the previous episode, this whole radiating the metrics means just putting it out there for everybody to see, right? Like putting it up on screens, on walls, whatever. Just get it out there so everybody can see it. You're not hiding. You're enabling the fast feedback with the feature teams so that they know and you know what's working and what isn't, right? Like if you had some sort of feature flag that you toggled on in the latest release, 
and you see your telemetry on something going up, then maybe that's a positive thing. If it was going up in, in a negative way, then you know that, hey, this didn't work. Let's turn that toggle off and then let's see if it gets back to normal or better, right? I like the idea of uh, it going up negative. It can happen, right? <laughs> the number of failures going up is not good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it was like immediately I thought of like a negative number, but I'm like, well, negative numbers don't go up though. So <laughs> yeah. how's that work? <laughs> uh, so um, uh, Pat Flynn, we've talked about in reference on the show. He's not uh, not a developer, uh, not a coder, but uh, does a smart passive income blog, empire, podcast, whatever. Um, I know, Alan, you're a fan. So tell me if you remember this. He did a thing a couple of years ago about his favorite metric, uh, the one metric that he pays attention to. He said he's got metrics on all sorts of things, YouTube subscribers, subscribers to his products, web traffic, uh, podcasts. That's like just tons of stats. And he, for a while there, he would like kind of look at one and try to focus on it and improve it. And then, you know, maybe get bored or kind of move to another one once he kind of hit some sort of like, you know, diminishing returns. Uh, what he ended up saying is that, um, it was kind of, uh, driving him nuts and sometimes it was leading him to optimize for the wrong things. So what he tried to do instead was come up with like one metric that he felt really like represented kind of everything that he was going for. And he would try to focus on that what one metric. And th- you know, this, this kind of tangentially related, but I thought it was kind of fun to bring up anyway. So the metric that he ended up kind of deciding that he wanted to go after and that he wanted to kind of track was actually thank you notes. So he put up, he had an address on his website and he's like, you know, if I get three this month and seven the next and 11 and then two, then that kind of tells me that I'm letting people down or I'm not making as much of an impact. And that's more important to me than number of subscribers and you know amount of money coming in. I think if I make that number better, if I help more people, I think it's going to help all my other numbers too. So of course he didn't stop tracking all that stuff. He didn't turn it off, but it was just kind of cool to think that he had like one number every month that he could kind of focus on and go after. So I was just kind of thinking like if you had one metric to put on, you know, a dashboard or a, something in your office, like one number, one, you know, one something to represent this, the, uh, the state of your organization, what would it be? Mm. How about you? You go first. Is how you throwing the question out there? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a, it's a terrible question because, you know, there's no context to it, but, um, you know, I, I think of like, um, basically uh card abandonment rate is uh, something I always thought about like an e-commerce kind of um, system, but really that's, you know, it's not a, a great number because I put stuff in my car all the time that just because I kind of almost want to keep it track of it while I'm thinking about stuff and then I have no intention of buying it. Uh, bounce rate is really big for content providers because they want to know like do people come to your site and then stay there, or go to something you know else. But even that's like, I don't really have a problem if people can just come in and get what they need and bounce out. Like, well, I'm fine with that. Bounce rate was one specifically mentioned in the book because it would depend on what type of site it is. So you mentioned yeah. like a content provider, but if you were a search engine, you don't you don't want them to stay around on your site long. If they're lingering around on your site, that means your search isn't working. Right. <laughs> That's crazy. I don't know if there is a right answer. I just thought it was kind of interesting to think like for your biz or your org, like if you had to pick one number, what would it be? Yeah, that's that's actually really good. I mean, I would imagine it depends on the industry too, right? Like if you're a service industry, 
you probably care a lot about how people rate your service, right? Like, did they have a good experience, bad experience, whatever? If you're if you're a hardware provider, an Apple or something, like the number of returns you get, you know, or the number of quality control issues that you get, like, I think it's very industry specific. But I did like the fact that Pat Flynn was like this, the thank you notes. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. I don't think that's something you make up as somebody that's in these industries. We said the reason we like reviews is because it, it lets us know that, Hey, we're, we're helping, we're reaching people. Right. And when somebody writes us and says that we've changed their lives, which is still mind blowing to all of us because we helped them get their, the developer job and change from a career that they hated to something that they love now. Right. Like that, that's real stuff. And so the metric that you pick has to be important to what your core needs, beliefs, values, and, and really what you're trying to do as a business. That's, that's yeah. really cool. And I kind of wonder, like, if, you know, a lot of times, um, as a developer, depending on what you're working on, you don't necessarily have direct influence on like new customer signups or something. Maybe that's more marketing or whatever. Like you don't work on the login page or, you know, you're kind of detached from that. So that, that metric probably doesn't make sense for you. But at the same time, if you're the metric that you realize, like if you ask yourself and think about it deeply and the metric you come back is, is like my boss, you know, leaving me alone or not giving me a hard time or, you know, whatever, then that kind of tells you a little bit about your situation there. And so, I don't know, I think it's a good question to ask yourself just to see what you come up with. Today's episode of Coding Blocks is sponsored by Datadog, a SaaS-based monitoring and analytics platform for cloud-scale infrastructure, applications, logs, and more. Datadog uses machine learning-based algorithms to detect errors and anomalies across your entire stack, which reduces the time it takes to detect and address outages and helps promote collaboration between data engineering, operations, and the rest of the company. And if you go to datadoghq.com slash coding blocks, you can start your 14-day trial. And if you start this trial and install Agent, then they will send you a free t-shirt, which is purple and has a super cute dog on it. So again, that was datadoghq.com slash coding blocks and start that 14-day trial. All right. Hey, it's your favorite uh, Jay-Z coming back at you again. <laughs> As opposed to your not-so-favorite Jay-Z. Well, wait yeah. a minute. I mean, like, you don't know who my favorite Jay-Z is. How do you I know? I mean, I could guess. <laughs> it's not a lot of competition. What? Uh, oh. There's me and there's JWZ, who, by the way, still blogs on LiveJournal, so I'm a little cooler than that guy. And I think there is a musician. Um, yeah, I mean, it just depends, man. If you're in a New York state of mind, then you'll know the Jay-Z. Right. <laughs> yeah, so go on, dust your shoulders off, and leave us a review while you're at it. <laughs> if you go to codingblocks.net slash review, then uh, we try to make it easy for you. We put in links to some stuff. I tried to leave a review the other day. I couldn't figure out, but I should have gone to our <laughs> website and uh, gotten some help. Did uh, uh, Don't you owe us a dance video? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I thought I sent that to you. Oh, really? I'll have to uh, check on that. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what happened there. Yeah, definitely did some dancing. Okay. Well, definitely a lot of the big, big dance videos. Great, huge. Darn. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, send me, send me a link, uh, a TikTok link, and I'll watch it. Yeah, I definitely don't. I don't want to lose that because I mean the the um, outfit changes were just <laughs> spectacular, but it was also surprisingly difficult to do that without, you know, stopping the video or anything. Were there uh, sequins involved or lots of sequins? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. If you're well, changing at runtime, there better be sequins. All right. Well then it is. <laughs> what are we talking about? I Reviews. Don't. That'd be great. Mice. It hurts. <laughs> uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> All right. So uh, with that, we head into my favorite portion of the show. Survey says. All right. So uh, a few episodes back, we asked, how do you feel about semicolons? And your choices were, sadly, they're a necessary evil for my language. Or, my language doesn't require them and I'm a better dev for it. Or, there's only a finite number of keystrokes you'll type in your lifetime, and since they're optional in my language of choice, I'm not wasting any keystrokes. Or, lastly, they might be optional, but as a wise man once said, never going to give you up. All right. (laughs) (laughs) You you still didn't see it coming, did you? I just got Rickrolled now, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Got Rickrolled and survey says. Uh, all right. So I think Alan went first last time, if I recall. So Joe, I'll let you go first. Okay. Well, I think that, um, I think that lovingly they're a necessary evil for my language. (laughs) What's the opposite? Happily, they're a necessary evil for my language with 61% of the vote. Okay. Okay. Wow. Yep. Okay. So I, I'm going to have to go with the Rickroll choice here and, and say that they might be optional, but as a wise man once said, never going to give you up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There so, we go. So what's your percent? Uh, I'm going to go. I'm not going 60. That's crazy talk. Let's go 40. 40%. Okay. 40. All right. So, uh, Joe says, well, depending on your perspective, Joe says it's either sadly or happily they're necessary evil for my language. And at 61%, and Alan goes with 40% with, uh, they might be optional, but a wise man once said, never going to give you up. Right? Have that right? That's it. That's it. All right. And the winner is, never going to give you up. Never going to let you down. <laughs> yeah. That, never going to uh, run around. It. Yeah. Go ahead and up. desert you. Yeah, there you go. Forty-two uh, percent <laughs> of the oh, vote. look at wow. that! Yeah, yeah. Wow, it might be optional, but and of course, like I had to have fun. Well, that was the that was obviously the fun option there. But uh, you know, Joe, you you did have the second place answer though, but you overshot right. it. Uh, yeah, just yeah. a little bit. I mean, well, I mean, if you know math, you would have already known <laughs> that. <laughs> But, you know, being the math of a chicken. <laughs> Barely off. Do you know how many numbers there are? There, there are so many numbers. And to be off even by double digits is just nothing. <laughs> you know, when you put it like that, Joe, you yeah. you make a really good argument. Uh, I'm not going to lie. Oh, uh, but yeah, That's 40% of the vote was uh, sadly they're necessary for my language. You know what's so funny about this? The reason I went with that last one is just personal. Like when you when you write JavaScript, do you put the semicolon on the end of the line? Yes. Nope. I have to. I like nope. I have tried not, but it feels like you're ending a sentence without a period. Well I just, depending on like the, <laughs> the IDE and the linter, like you know, you might get complaints about it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I'm not even worried about that. It just feels wrong. I feel like I'm empty inside if I don't put that semicolon on the end. I don't you know why. <clears throat> it's, it's the way. It's the way. <laughs> so uh, so for this episode survey, 
Um, I'm going to get some some uh, hate mail. So uh, just hit me up at uh, Mathema Chicken on Slack. <laughs> but uh, so this episode survey is, hey, what's, what's your favorite mobile device? And your choices are an iPad, the tab father of tablets, or an Android-based tablet. Great hardware specs without the hassle of long-term support. <laughs> Or a Kindle. It was on sale. Or Chromebook for the win. Not quite as portable as a tablet, nor as useful as a laptop. Or what? or a two-in-one laptop. A giant, bulky tablet that can run Docker. <laughs> so I got to say, so we didn't look at these beforehand. I love your wording on all of them. <laughs> yeah, I want all of them. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, again, hate mail at uh, the Slack channel. Yep. So nothing with chicken. Uh, so I got uh, something to sneak in here. Okay. Okay. So like uh, yesterday on Facebook, a buddy of mine uh, posted, uh, and their question was Kotlin or Java. And that's all I said. And of course, that's not enough context to answer. But it was kind of a fun, you know, question for me, and I, I went ahead and tried to answer it anyway. But it got me kind of thinking. I don't want to ask that one. I want to ask a different one. I thought it might be kind of fun to do this, but when you give your answer, I don't want you to cast any shade at the one you don't choose. Oh, you can't do that. <laughs> well, I don't expect you guys to, to respect that rule, but you know, gotta try. So I was going to throw something at you. So just gut check from the hip, not worried about facts, just total feelings here. We'll go, uh, we'll go outlaw first. Go or rust. <sighs> Uh, I think we, we had this similar conversation related to the, uh, stack overflow, uh, 2020 survey. And I think we said that rust was the most wanted if I remember right. So I'm going to go rust. Okay. That's good. Well, what do you think, Alan? I'm going to go, go primarily because it seems like it's in everything. (laughs) So... Yeah, I'm going to take the one that seems to have more market share. Yeah, I'm going to go with Go as well for basically the same reason. I think it's just a better investment with the time. So not knowing anything else about the project or anything else about you know what we're trying to do with the languages, which is, of course, how you should really make that decision. Uh, I got to go with Go just because it seems like it's much more popular. And so much of the like the Docker Kubernetes ecosystem is built around Go templates and just Go as a language. And so um, it seems like a, a, a safer investment to me. Yep. So. So I looked it up and I was right. Rust but Rust was ahead on the Stack Overflow 2020 survey by a lot. lot. Yeah. But but in fairness, that was the most wanted when you looked at the actual usage of it. Most loved. It was like at the bottom of the heap, right? It, it was it was the most loved was most loved, uh, was but Rust. Used. Go Go was fifth in fifth place. Rust was far and away number 1. But when you look back at the stats, the the people using it, there was such a low number on the actual Rust side. Like, I think the people that loved it are the people who wrote it, is what I'm saying. Well, I mean, <laughs> I, yeah, but I mean, it's not going to get 86% of the vote on a Stack Overflow survey from only the people that wrote it. So yeah, my yeah, thinking for picking Rust was because if, if people love it that much, if they're that passionate about it, I want to know why. Yeah. Right? Like. There's got to be something to it. So that that's why I picked Rust. All right. I like it. 
Thank you. I like it. All right. Well, I guess I'll have to include two surveys on this episode. Oh, awkward. Awkward. (laughs) That's my specialty. This episode is sponsored by Secure Code Warrior. Secure Code Warrior's gamification lets you learn how to write secure code from the start and identify bad code already present. So I got to tell you, I had a chance to go in here and mess around and gamification is really the name of the game here for me is when you go in, you see scores, right? So Joe and Mike had already gone in and done some Docker stuff and I got to go in and see that there were some scores up on a leaderboard. So that was all the incentive I needed to stay up extremely late after the last podcast we recorded and play with it. So I think Mike had said that he was beating Joe's Zach's score. Well, I went in and beat both of their accuracy. So <laughs> uh, I, I will say the one impressive part about Secure Code Warrior, at least for me, is you're not actually writing any code, but it's impressive how effective this stuff sticks with you just by looking through various different code pieces and choosing which ones have the vulnerabilities in it because it it teaches you to examine what's there and pick out the vulnerabilities and the problems with the code that's already there. And it's, it's truly an effective way instead of just writing tons and tons of code. Yeah. You know, Oh, sorry. I I just want to interject. One thing real quick was that you talked about the, um, uh, the, the code there, like not writing the code. It's really important to call out like what that interface looks like because they'll show you like here's some bad code and you got to like pick and point at like what's the bad part. Like here's a here's literally the haystack. Go find right. the needle, right? Pick the line. Yeah. Pick the line pick, that has the, the bad code. Pick the line of code that is the bad code. And and then once you do, they'll be like, if you do pick it right the first time, they'll be like, hey, congratulations. And then they'll be like, what would be the appropriate fix for it? Right. And then, and then they'll give you like some choices. And some of those choices, they are, they, they will look compelling. You'd be like, Oh, I don't know. I think that one might be the one. And you really, you, you got to study it for a minute. It, it's not going to be, it, I don't know how else to say it because the, the way I'm describing it, it might sound like, Oh, I could just easily click one and go away, but it's really not. You, you got to pay attention. Yeah, the fixes themselves are actually really good too. So uh, I've learned a few things. Like I mentioned with the Docker's and Kubernetes uh, side of the house, where um, the fixes that they put in weren't like my first kind of inclination towards how I would fix it. So immediately it got me kind of thinking, like, well, why did they choose this approach to, to fix it rather than another one? So it got me off and googling and realizing it that was actually uh, the preferred pattern for doing it. So it was just really cool. And also, I got to mention that it's just fun. The gamification is really cool. I'm, I'm looking at the C sharp one right now, and there's an adversary profile. Um, we've got a we've got an alias of Daniel Pytho, who is well known for targeting world leading companies and selling information on the dark web. And we've got a threat profile here talking about SQL injection. So I know that if I accept this mission, then basically that's the kind of uh, problems I'm going to be looking at for this little segment. And it's ultimately, I, I could get to this in probably like 15 minutes maybe. And that's like a nice little milestone and I'll get a score there. Uh, and then Alan will come along and beat me in it. And so it's just, it's just super well done. And I definitely recommend checking it out and uh, getting, getting your boss to sign off on it. 
Yes, you definitely need to uh, start getting a leaderboard together for your organization. So head over to discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks to start your next game. Get that tournament going within your team and have some fun. Again, that's discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks. And if you score 5,000 points, you get a cool t-shirt. One last time, that's discover.securecodewarrior.com slash coding blocks. All right. So let's talk about infrastructure metrics. So we need enough telemetry to identify what part of our infrastructure is having problems. So how do we do that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I thought we were just done. Oh, oh, oh. It's just enough to say it. Right. Yeah. So you need to graph telemetry across your infrastructure and application. Because this is what actually allows you to see that things are going wrong, right? Um, we, we've talked about graphing things individually, but if you can overlay them, that's where you really get your money. Yeah, no, we've looked at a couple a couple different things. I remember we saw something uh, we, at uh, Elastic on Atlanta where Elastic was kind of tying disparate uh, sets of information together. And we were trying to figure out how the heck they did that. Um, how they were able to kind of correlate different kinds of things. It's a really tough problem. If you've got a lot of control over like the agents or whatever sending those metrics, like, uh, you know, we, we mentioned data dog, uh, for, you know, frequently, uh, sponsor of the show, but, um, you know, that's kind of their bread and butters taking information from disparate sources and marrying it together so that you can make sense of things. Cause otherwise it's just a jumble of numbers. And so that's definitely the hard part. And even, uh, I think we've talked a little bit before about how, um, this stuff isn't cheap. <laughs> like, the metrics, uh, the logging is a lot of information moving, uh, depending on how your sampling rate or whatever, uh, it can be really expensive. And so it's kind of hard to know how much is enough and how much is too, too much. And a lot of times you'll see, uh, in different systems, like you'll see one thing that's like logged to death and has like every metric and it's all amazing. And then you'll have some other piece that is way more important and has like basically nothing that's <laughs> coming out of it. So. You know, graphing those things uh, across infrastructure and the application allow you to to see when things are going wrong much easier than having either one separately. Yeah, and they also say that when you use these business metrics along with your infrastructure metrics, this actually allows your development and your operations teams to work together much quicker to resolve problems, right? Because now you both see it, right? And, and you see if there's problems happening. And if you've got some uh, some good uh, BI people like on your team, then they can correlate stuff too. Like maybe you'll be able to see like, hey, if uh, you know, I mean, this is like business and business metrics correlating, but you might say like, hey, when we ship orders faster, we get more orders. You know, there's like a noticeable uptick in orders, and so there's a correlation there between these two things. Now that's business to business, but you might see some other stuff too that's kind of surprising. Like when this, you know, sites running faster, we get more orders. That's something that's like very well known at this point. It's a uh, yeah, it's, kind of, it's almost mythical at this point. Like the faster your site is, the the more uh, conversions you get. Oh yeah, like Amazon had some great stats on that, wasn't it? No, was it Amazon or Google that had those stats? No, it was. It was actually both. So depending on where you go back to, if you go back to when we were talking about the data intensive applications, Amazon had some real strong. They had some good case studies where Amazon focused on not the top 
one percent of customers because the problem is they had so many orders that they couldn't make their infrastructure run fast enough for all their order history, but they needed to do it for people that still were frequent buyers, right? So they would try and optimize their site for the ninety nine percent use case instead of the one percent use case. But Google, you're right, also had similar things, which I think you're about to talk about. Uh, well, I mean, I wasn't specifically going to bring up Google, but I was going to bring up, uh, you know, Joe mentioned Datadog, right? And like, I, I honestly, I can't stress it enough. Like, we we've we've tweeted and shared all kinds of like blogs, that, articles, and whatnot about Datadog, um, you know, because they they you know, full disclosure, obviously, you, you heard the ad, uh, are are a sponsor of the show, but um, I mean, they really do have a lot of great tools out there to be able to like connect. Uh, these logs and and put these um, you know tracing through all your different applications so that you could see like how that request made it all the way through the system, but then also see like hey what was our server utilization at the time that that request went through? Maybe that's why uh, we had a high abandonment cart abandonment rate at that particular time of day or whatever, right? And like you know if you haven't checked out their blog, they have great articles on there. I I went to it just out of curiosity. The first article in there was instrument your Python applications with Datadog and open telemetry, which is spot on with the type of things that we're talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that was interesting here that I don't know that I probably ever thought about, but they're saying you need the same exact telemetry in your pre-production environments as you do in production so that you can see these problems before they make it to production, right? Like it's one thing to have people doing QA there and, you know, looking for regressions and bugs, but doing full on telemetry at that same level, it makes a lot of sense. It assumes a certain level of sophistication in your environment though, that totally. as it relates to, um, <clears throat> uh, like stress testing, performance testing, like load testing, the environment in order to like be able to make those correlations and, and like, you know, even in the, the shopping cart example to like have a, uh, you know, an automated environment that's going to automate, uh, convert checkout conversions at scale or clicking different parts of the app and, and then checking out so that you could see how those metrics relate. Right. Uh, and then remind marketing to not get too excited about it. Cause that's just your test environment. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> Hey, you know, uh, I gotta mention Datadog one more time. It's unfortunately this is gonna be late uh, for when this podcast uh, uh, comes out, but uh, Dash Twenty Twenty is free this year and it's virtual. That's uh, we talked about this conference last year. Uh, had a lot of really great sessions, and because of everything going on, uh, it's coming out. It's uh, August eleventh. I still want to mention it on the show because I'm sure many, if not all, of these talks are going to end up making it online onto you know YouTube or something else. So keep an eye out for that because it, I am sure it's going to be amazing. There were so many great sessions last time. I it was very envious. I really wanted to go. And I'm and then, registering right now, so someone else needs to talk. Well, you you had this. Uh, somebody put this link up about why speed matters. Oh yeah, yeah. So that that just was um, what we we're talking about. Like, um, so I found an article that has a bunch of links to uh, studies, not just the the one with Google. Although I believe that I saw the the one we were talking about was in there. But uh, it's just uh, one good article that kind of gathered up a bunch because this has been since that kind of broke. I don't know, ten years ago, fifteen years ago, something like that. The kind of the first studies started coming out about that. It has just been studied to death. So I kind of take it for granted because I've heard it like a million times over now that speed is important. But um, if you're curious about the actual numbers behind those or, you know, how they tested that or just how big of an impact it can make, whatever, then uh, here's a good article uh, that we've got. And we'll have it linked in a couple places in the show notes here. 
Can we say though that like so many people would assume that we're only talking about like web pages, but like even your mobile apps, like if mm-hmm. your mobile app has a, has a splash screen and it's going to take time to load, like that needs to be just as fast. If you want to hold my attention, I, I can't stand applications that have a splash screen on their mobile app. I mean, I get why, cause you're trying to like load things in the background or whatever, but like, man, we really gotta, as a, as an industry, we need to come up with a better paradigm for that instead of the splash screen. Cause I don't want to look at it. I, I want <laughs> it, 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 it truly is frustrating at times where it's like, come on already. You're I feel like I'm stuck branding. in I feel like I'm stuck in space balls. Like we can't stop, sir. We got to slow down first. And it's like I'm like, come on already, just load the app. We can't, sir. We we got to cache the app first. It's like no, just load it. Uh, These are the things that keep me up at night. So now you know. That's, that's so excellent. <laughs> All right, so pushing on here, the next one that we have is overlaying other relevant information onto our metrics. So in addition to the business and the infrastructure telemetry that we were talking about before, you also want to graph your deployment. So this is going back to what Outlaw was saying, like, hey, how do I know exactly what got shipped out with this? If you could overlay that as well, now you can quickly see that if it was a release that caused whatever application problems or infrastructure problems, right? It could be one or the other, or it could be both. But putting all three of those things in the same space where you can view it is hugely beneficial. Oh, and this is something interesting that they say too, is there might even be a settling period, which makes total sense. Basically, after the deployment goes out, things look fine for a minute, Or maybe they go crazy for a minute because caches are replenishing or whatever, right? But then it'll settle back down, right? So you might expect that after a release, you're going to see things go haywire for a minute because you know that there are certain things going to happen. As long as they come back down into that normal range that you're used to seeing, then you're probably fine. You know, being able to, uh, thinking back to this idea of being able to like graph the deployments over top of like the metrics. <clears throat> Do you remember that, that, um, I don't know if we've talked about it on air, but I, I know in, in personal lives, we've definitely talked about it where there was this scenario where I had found this issue that had basically unbeknownst to the company was costing them hundreds of thousands of dollars a year where based on a deployment, somebody had changed something to where like certain, uh, uh, recommendations were no longer being offered. And I was like, no, 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 look, you can actually see like, here's the, here's how much money we were bringing in per month when we were showing these, these recommendations. And then boom, that release went out and now you're no longer getting that money. And that money right. equals, you know, a, let's say it was like $300,000 a year. Like it was a significant amount of money. Right. And, and, and it was because of like, <clears throat> I didn't have this kind of overlaid graph, I just have as the developer who, uh, one, I had access to the metrics so that I could go and poke around in those things. And I knew the, these specific areas of the app of the code and, and the app. And I knew like, you know, what should be given metrics and whatnot and was able to like, you know, so it was only like coincidental that, that right. I happened to be able to it find it. It wasn't in thing. your face. Yes. Unfortunately. And that's the, that's the thing is like having this kind of, telemetry graphed over top of your deployments, like how amazing that would be, right? Like I only happen to find that coincidentally. 
Right. Just because like, you know, I happened to know the area and I could go and I had access to go look at it. But you know, what stinks about could that point that out to like a marketing, if they could like easily see this, then not only can they easily see when things that they do, they could make, they could do experiments and say, Hey, you know what? What if we were to make recommendations like three or four levels deep? No, maybe that didn't work out. Maybe if we only made it like one or two levels deep, they could do like all these different experimentations to see like what works better for them. And they would have all the metrics there to, to, to like have actual data to make those decisions instead of it just being a guess. And you know what stinks about that is the only reason you were able to put two and two together was because you looked at it within a certain amount of time, right? Like you saw it like maybe let's say within two weeks of when the deployment happened. Otherwise, if it had been like, was this one that was no? We didn't actually like been longer than that. Yeah, no, that was uh, okay. how that was how I happened to catch how significant it was. Was uh, because it had been going on because like a like a month or two had passed, and I'm like, wow, did you guys happen to notice that? This was really low in this area. Like, huh, why is that? And I got curious and I started poking around to figure out why. And I'm like, oh, yeah, somebody introduced a bug here. and We're no longer showing these recommendations. And that's why. Hmm. It's crazy, huh? It does show you how important recommendations are. Like how many orgs have marketing that has great stats about marketing stuff? And customer service has great stats about customer service and developers have great stats about their, you know, infrastructure and releases. And none of that stuff is tied together. It's crazy. It's nuts. Well, I mean, I've never been in an environment that has shown like, um, I mean, imagine this, maybe like a Microsoft, maybe somebody has it, but like an environment to where you could like correlate your releases with, uh, customer support issues. Right. Right. Like, Oh, uh, all of a sudden we're seeing more issues with customer support. What happened? Well, we did just do a release yesterday and here's the five features we released. I wonder if it's one of those. Yeah. <clears throat> and sometimes you have a, you have like a BI team that like is responsible for tying that sort of stuff together, but they're just detached for the problem. Like they're so caught up with like data warehousing and moving bits around that they, they tend to think of that stuff as bits, but you get a developer there who sees a chart, you know, for marketing and can say like, whoa, that. That dip corresponds to the day we did this thing, you know, and so sometimes just having the right people see the data when it's convenient and fresh in mind is really important. Well, that's just an overall theme to to these books in general, though, was like empowering the people who know that who know an area to be able to experiment and make decisions and try things. So like even in, uh, you know, that that the comment that I just made about like allowing marketing to be able to know it, right? Like they know what they want to try. And if they can actually see those correlations, right, then, then they have that, um, you know, expertise of like what they wanted to do and, and did it work or did it not. Otherwise you're like relying on somebody who has, you know, the access and the curiosity to go poking around in both things to be able to put those pieces together. And this is why the radiation of this this information is so important, right? Like if you can put it out there so anybody can look at it and you're not trying to hide that information, chances are you're just going to increase your value over time. Yeah. Because, I mean, when people aren't scared to – when people aren't trying to hide it and when people have the ability to look at it, by and large, people get excited about improving things, right? So only good things can happen there. The, the radiator terminology was curious though. It was like, it was, it's a good, it's an interesting term for it, but it was like, a, like, I don't know that I would have been creative enough to come up with that choice of words for yeah, it. It's interesting. Yeah. And then the last thing that they said is, 
you should also do the same thing for maintenance, right? Like if you're if you're having to do some sort of upgrade on your server, whether it's the OS or whether it's hardware or whatever, you should also be graphing that because some change to the underlying OS could be all of a sudden when your application errors spike, right? I know that we've all been a part of that where some sort okay. of OS upgrade broke SQL Server or broke .NET or broke something, and all of a sudden you're scratching your head going because – Let's also keep this in mind. As the developers, we weren't even aware that a server upgrade was happening. We only find out about it because we get called saying, hey, the application's not working. You're digging through the event logs and you see all of a sudden that, hey, wait, there were a bunch of hotfixes applied. Oh, and there was a scheduled restart last night and this is when everything happened. So, so again, your time to getting to the fix is severely delayed because you don't even know that something happened, right? Because the group that was handling those upgrades was detached from the group that's doing the applications. And there's no way to correlate the two except for digging through a bunch of logs. So yeah, putting all this stuff together, man, like it adds so much value and it's kind of surprising to me that probably more companies don't even consider this, right? Like it it almost feels like, not necessarily this book. I'm assuming because I haven't listened to or read them, the Phoenix Project and um, what's the other one? Unicorn something. Unicorn Project. The Unicorn Project. My guess is these topics come up in there. They're so good. This should probably be a listen for any kind of CIO or um, CTO of a company so that they can think about these things. So that because if you can drive that change from the top down, you improve your entire organization as a whole. I would imagine. Both also, it's entertaining. So <laughs> they're just good books. Yeah. yeah, They're so good. I wish I had listened to Joe's advice years ago about the Phoenix Project. Like, why did God, I wait so long? He said it like three years ago. I still haven't I read it. I think it was seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. We've been coding for at least three years. So. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, so now I want to start my own company, right? And I know that DevOps is really important. I'm going to get that CI CD pipeline going from day one. And I'm going to get the telemetry hooked up so I can see exactly what people do. I'm going to correlate it to all the things that, um, that basically across, uh, you know, applications and businesses and also just, you know, standard kind of uh, computing metrics. So I got all this right. So now what's the company about? What's the business model? It doesn't matter. Oh, yeah, Nobody's right. going to succeed because that's of what right. You just no matter what, right. That's yeah, right. you're good. That's what the third way is all about: is actually making the money. It's the profit. <laughs> you know, I wonder if there's like some Jenkins plugins that that help with this kind of thing. Hmm, that's an interesting call out. Hey, if you know of something, let us know. Yeah, yeah, yeah and we'll probably um, if we remember, someone will win a book if you uh, ah. leave a comment because we keep forgetting to mention that. Yeah, we forgot to do that on the last episode. And, yeah, totally. And we should actually say that, like, hey, even if you already got like uh, the DevOps handbook previously, you should still like uh, comment on this one. And you know, maybe if you want one of the other books, if you happen to be the lucky person that won one, and you're like, hey, but I already got the DevOps handbook, you know, you could pick one of the other three because all three books are so good. Should really like my point is like you get to pick which one of the books you want to get. Yes. Yeah, we'll we'll always work with you. <laughs> Maybe. Maybe. You <laughs> may say no. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. We we'll always try to work with you. So customer service right. with a smile. That's right. So in conclusion, uh telemetry is muy importante. Right. That's really what we're getting to here is man, it's probably way more important than you ever thought. So 
Muy, muy. Muy, muy importante. Yes. Yeah, so just, and to just uh, reinvigorate the previous topic too, the first way was systematic thinking. So thinking about things in systems and uh, getting your pipeline going. Second way was all about amplifying your feedback loops. So things like telemetry and um, getting the right people seeing or getting everybody seeing the right information. And uh, what's up next is the third way, which is building a culture of continual exper- experimentation and learning. So episodes 140, 141, 142, 143, and 144 will be good. Yep. <laughs> I mean, we still got a ways to go. We got to get through like hypothesis driven development. Um, yeah, so it, it's going to be like 18 more episodes uh, before we yeah. get to it. <laughs> We'll get so, out of the second like way eventually. Years. So hang in there. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just kidding. There'll be lots of surveys. There will be surveys. <laughs> Survey says. All right. So, uh, yeah, we'll have uh, plenty of links in the resources. Being like, Obviously, uh, we're all big fans of the DevOps Handbook, the Phoenix Project, the Unicorn Project. You can't go wrong with any of those books. Uh, but we'll have other links there in the resources we like. And with that, we head into Alan's favorite portion of the show. It's the tip of the week. All right. So I'm going to lead off with I'm a little saddened today because I only have one tip this week. Oh. And part of that is because I was on a little mini vacation and I didn't touch a computer much and, you know, it felt kind of nice. Wait, but you were gone like a week. How's that a mini vacation? What's well, not a week. I was only out four days. Yeah. Up, yeah. What, but yeah. not including the weekend. Uh, the weekend, well, yeah. I mean, one of the days was a travel day. So, yeah, I was only really on vacation for four days. All right, well, yeah. Yeah, Your so. definition of mini weekend or vacation to mine are different. Yeah, a real vacation is two weeks plus. So, <laughs> um, a, a, mini, a mini vacation in my mind is a weekend. You go somewhere for the weekend. That's a mini vacation. Anything more than that, it's like, okay. Maybe. I feel like I've been stuck in my house so much for this oh, year. God, I don't, why? Why, Alan? Everybody right, like, really look, that. dude, a trip to the park is a vacation for me at this point. I'll just say that. So, I thought that was your office. I've seen your duck pictures. I know, man. I, I need to go back there. It just got too hot here in Georgia. All right. So on to my tip here. So this one, I, I'm actually really excited about this one. This is not a technical tip, but this is something that I think is just amazing that Google's doing. So... I'll have a couple of links. The first one is to a Forbes article where they're kind of giving you a gist of this. And really what it boils down to is this. Google has a thing that they've had for a few years now, I think since 2017. And it's called Google Career Certificates. And it's grow.google.com, I believe. Now, what's cool about this is they've got a few programs here, one for data analytics, one for project management, one for user experience design. And these certificates They're like a six-month program. Now, here's what's cool about it. If you go through and you complete these certificates with Google, Google treats them the equivalent of a four-year degree because these are like hardcore, right? Like you go in, you learn this stuff, you you are going to get the real meat and potatoes in this thing. Now, that's cool enough in itself, right? Like if you're somebody that's been stressed out about how am I going to, how am I going to go through college and do all that kind of stuff? Like maybe this is an option for you if you're interested in this thing. What's even better is Google is also doing need-based scholarships. So if you don't have the means to put yourself through this, you can actually contact Google and the courses are actually done through Coursera, but you can contact Google 
they're providing $10 million in Google.org grants for one, and then your scholarship. So you could potentially go get one of these certificates, get it paid for, get the skills you need to potentially move into a position, maybe with Google, maybe with some other company, but these, these certificates will carry some weight because they are true learning boot camps, right? From a fairly big company. So I, this is just amazing. The fact that, at least in my opinion, the fact that Google is going through and putting these programs together and then also helping people get that education if they truly desire it and they don't have the needs to do so, that's awesome to me. So if you're somebody that's interested, you should definitely check this out. Like I said, I have the, the Forbes article there and then there's also grow.google. It's grow.google slash certificates is the other one. <clears throat> And that will show you the list of things that they have right there. And they even show you the median wage of people that get these jobs when they, when they get these certificates, right? Like the, the median wage for a data analyst was $66,000 for a project manager was 93 and for a UX designer was 75,000. They all listed on the site there. So, you know, really exciting stuff. So backing up to our original conversation or conversation at the start where you were talking about like, hey, how to get started as a developer, if you just go to grow.google, so skip the certificates part and just go to grow.google.com, uh, not com, grow.google, uh, they actually have a section on there for job seekers and students. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't even notice that. That's amazing. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love Google. I, I do wish that they went back to the old uh, mission statement of don't be evil. Right. Like, I love yeah, it when that was their mission statement. That, somehow they did. Yeah. Like, it's anything else, it's like, wait, what does that imply then? <laughs> yeah. It's like, we don't say that anymore. Like, hmm. <laughs> Why not? Uh, <laughs> that's awkward. <laughs> right. All right, so my turn. So I know that neither of you are going to listen to the podcast uh, that I'm. Well, oh, this is so awkward to say. This is awesome. So um, I'm going to reference two podcasts here in the next thirty seconds, and I don't think either of you have heard of either one. So you're welcome. So <laughs> my name is Joe Zach, and I know the best podcast of the week. So. There's like five of you out there who are going to know what I'm talking about. And you're going to think that's very funny and charming. I think that was a um, Pauly Shore reference. <laughs> no. But that's, that's good, though. That's good. I appreciate that. The Weasel. What's up, buddy? <laughs> so I stole that. There's a guy on a, the Besties podcast, which I'm not going to talk about because I want to talk about another podcast. <laughs> okay. Um, this is me just being awkward like I do. So, uh, you know Sean Martz? Yes. Yeah. Sean Sean, who has a kicking beard now, by the way. Sean that we've talked about many times. Sean that we love. Uh, Ohio Sean. Uh, he's got a podcast. Oh. Yeah. And I, I have been hoarding this information. It's got seven episodes uh, right now. And uh, it's a book club with some friends of his uh, called Hearthbound. And they are currently reading through The Witcher taking notes, making jokes. Very funny. Some have seen the show. Some haven't. Some are reading books. Some are doing audio books. Um, but it's cracking me up. And I haven't read the Witcher book, uh, books, any of them. 
And I'm still just enjoying uh, the, the way they talk about it. It's just been really fun. And it's been a nice break to get away from kind of coding stuff and just like listen to friends having a good time. So it's been really enjoyable. So if you're into The Witcher or if you're into uh, funny podcasts or if you're just into Sean, then I recommend checking out the Hearthbound podcast, which you can find at hearthboundpodcast.com or wherever quality podcasts are found. Well, that's awesome. That's fantastic. That's really funny. So was the Polly Shore thing a reference to Hearthbound? Because you said you were going to mention no, the second podcast. That was just, yeah, it was a terrible time to do a reference to another podcast. We're talking about another podcast on a podcast. So, okay. Yeah. Terrible reference. But I should have done that when all I said, the way like, down. hey, the introductions, I should have said, oh, my, maybe next episode I'll do. My name is Joe Zach, and I know the best game of the week. So that's what the guy says. Every episode, he always says that. And it doesn't even make any sense, which. Is that supposed awesome. to be the, the, is that from, uh, cause I haven't listened to it, but you were a guest on, uh, was it Game Effects? Oh, Gaming Fix. Um, Gaming no, Fix. that's also another excellent Is that show. the one? So I love, uh, <laughs> I love podcasts. Uh, Gaming Fix, which I love, but no, uh, it's the besties, which is Spotify exclusive, uh, exclusive, and it features, um, some X and some current, uh, authors from Polygon, the, the website. And also, uh, to the McElroy brothers who are on shows like My Brother, My Brother and Me are also, um, they had another one where they played Dungeons and Dragons. I can't remember right now. Huh. Oh my gosh, but it's really good. But uh, they're just really popular podcasts. So there's going to be people, I think, that I are going to overlap with the show. They're going to appreciate that joke. How, it was just terrible time timing to, on my part. Sorry for bringing it up. How do you have time to listen to podcasts anymore, though? I, I, that would mean I have to leave my house. I only do. I have not been doing any tech podcasts. So sorry to all my tech podcaster friends. I've just been like entertainment only lately. <laughs> Hey, wait, 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 wait. Box. Who are the three friends, though? I'd imagine it comes up on the show. It's Sean and... I don't know the other two. Man, that's ridiculous. It's not in there about Sean. It is this. It is on it. Yeah, it is. No, no, no. Sure. It was totally on it. It's at the top of the page. It was... Oh, wait. It's, the, it's in the logo. Yeah. I see it. Lou Chapman, right. Sean, and Matt Mullen. I clicked about. I was looking all over the page. I didn't expect to look up in the logo. All right. I take it back. I guess you don't need to fix it, but I still would. I put it in that about. I'm done. Yeah, I didn't even <laughs> recognize that that was just an image at first, but yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So, um, so here was here's my tip of the week. Then, so it, we're in this whole DevOps world, right? So we're like combining everything, and hey, there's also this whole SecOps thing, right? Uh, that now we can like combine into this whole world. Well, Google released this really cool new thing called Tsunami. So you guys are familiar with like a Qualys type service, right? Where it can scan your network and look for like vulnerabilities in it. So Google has their own that they have developed in-house called Tsunami that they just released it to the open source community. I'll have links to this on GitHub. And uh, it it works on this plugin architecture so they also included a separate repository for the plugins, but basically the, this way this thing works is it can go and it can scan your network. And this is, this is built for like, I mean, I, you know, I suppose like smaller, you know, companies could use this too, but obviously Google built it for Google scale, right? Uh, so within their enterprise type environment and, uh, you know, to scan their network for like known vulnerabilities, and, uh, you know, uh, to, to be able to report on like problems within their network. 
That's really cool. Yeah. Uh, you notice that they say at the very bottom under the disclaimer, Tsunami is not an official Google product. So they created it, but it's not like a supported type thing. But still, yeah, I amazing mean, what that does that mean? releasing this. What does that even mean? It's not an official product. Okay, like whatever. It's some code on GitHub. Like, go have fun. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. uh, I can't. Well, I don't know what I do with that statement, but yeah. But still, it's pretty cool, though, like, because, like, what was your alternative before, you know, last week, right? What was the alternative? You would pay for a service like a Qualys, you know, to to do those scans for you. And now, like, hey, you could just run this. <laughs> That's really cool. Yeah. And it's made for scale. So guess what? It's probably going to be pretty efficient. I don't know. So, yeah, I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. Uh and I thought it kind of related to some of the things that we were talking about as it related from a, like a DevOps world to like mix in SecOps into that uh, whole thing, right? You know, because um, wouldn't it be cool in those like production-like environments if you knew that somebody just introduced a new, uh, you know, security flaw because they introduced some new package or some new service that had known exploits and they didn't lock it down? I don't know. Yep. We might have talked about some open... Uh, <laughs> you know, problems in Mongo and Elastic on the last episode. So maybe, I don't know, maybe you could have found them. Oh man. And you can provide your own plugins to this thing too, if you wanted to. And it's, it's based on like a, if I remember right, it was, it's based on like, you know, they built, they basically built on top of InMap where they'll like, you know, do InMap like scans of a host to see like what's available. And then uh, once they, you know, have those, those services, they'll say, oh, here's the known services, bang away on those. And then I don't know how they handle the, you know, random other ports that they might find. Uh, it's crazy. I mean, it'd be interesting just to look through the code, to be honest with you. Um, I, so, you know, last time in the news, I had mentioned that Garmin had been hit with some ransomware. You know who else just did? Canon. Mm. Canon that does cameras and printers and whatnot, they just got hit with ransomware. Like this stuff is going around big companies. So like seriously, 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 you probably want to, before you start releasing things out into the wild that, that things can get access to, see what you can do to lock things down and have a good backup, uh, uh, a disaster recovery plan in place, especially if you're a large company with some assets that you don't, or can't really afford to lose. But but I got to ask, are you serious? <laughs> seriously. <laughs> oh, seriously. Sure. Okay, well, seriously. Seriously. Since, you, since you said seriously. That's right. All right. Well, with that, uh, we hope you've enjoyed the show as we have continued talking about uh, the second way. And, you know, as I said before, uh, if you haven't already, you know, if you want to subscribe to us, you can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, you know, wherever you like to find your podcast apps. Uh, and you know, as Joe mentioned, if you haven't left us a review, we greatly appreciate it. Uh, we do enjoy, uh, reading those reviews and getting that feedback. So you can find some helpful links there at www.codingblocks.net slash review. Yep. And while you're up there, we've mentioned it many times. We've got amazing show notes. We've got examples of discussions. And again, if you want a chance at winning one of these three books we've talked about on this episode, leave us a comment up there on, codingblocks.net slash episode 139 and send your feedback questions and rants to slack which you can get to by the way hold on forget to say this if you go to codingblocks.net slash slack we've got a button where you can click to uh, get in so you don't have to 
no secret handshake or anything. You just just do it. Inbox that that's a Slack, and uh, we're on Twitter and stuff too. So if you head to the website while you're there, uh, joining Slack, you can see links to all our other social stuff there at the top of the page. 